This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Today we'll be discussing... Igras Moshe Evan Ezra Chelik Dalad Simon Tes Zayin. This is a true from 5737, written to a recipient of Moshe describes as a Rav Hanichbad Maud, but doesn't identify. Um, and there were a list of questions on personal status issues. Uh, the first of which is, Isha Shebichsuvat Ima Isa Matrachta Veenya Dua Kesed Niskarsha. So a woman, uh, shows up and her, with her mother's Ksuba, and her mother's Ksuba says that at the time, of the marriage that led to this daughter's birth, the mother was a divorcee. But we have no independent evidence um, of the nature of the mother's divorce. So do we take the ksuba itself as evidence that the mother's divorce um, was valid, or we can see there's one other way to to analyze it. So Moshe says, um, and he gives more details in his answer than there were in the question, and you have to sort of negotiate uh, exactly what was known. A woman is coming to be written down uh, to be married. So that sounds like not the usual American context where a woman comes to be married by a particular rav, but that we're dealing with a bureaucracy where there's a list. So that exists in Israel. I don't know if it exists uh, in Europe. Um, but it changes the nature of the, of, the, um, of the conversation somewhat because we're trying to set up uh, procedures. Right? It's very unlikely that we're dealing with a specific case. We're dealing with a not uncommon phenomenon, and we're trying to figure out how to deal, uh, how to set up policies for issues like that. So Moshe says, her mother was previously married to someone else. He doesn't tell us whether we know that the mother was married by someone uh, to someone else first independently, that this is a second marriage. If we know that, do we know that from the daughter, or do we know that generally? It's not clear how much that would change the, um, the halacha. The framework of Moshe is functioning in, um, the basic principle of halacha is that if a woman is not known to be married, then she is presumed to be eligible to marry. And if such a woman, uh, with that presumption, comes in and says, I was married but divorced, so the principle we apply is a pesha asaru a pesha itir, that since we would have no way of knowing that she was not permitted, that she had ever not been permitted to marry, had she not told us that she had been married previously. Uh, so if we believe her about that, we have to believe her that she's no longer married. Right? That's a basic principle. All the evidence to make her unmarriageable comes from her, um, and she, and her word um, provides, uh, if we believe her, provides sufficient evidence to allow her to marry, so then we allow her to marry. In this case, Ramosha says, um, says clearly that her mother was married to someone else first. Probably that means that we know it independently if we're dealing with a place with a list, so the mother's previous marriage is probably on a list. It could be the daughter herself um, told us that, but now we have the the ksuba testifying um, to the divorce. The daughter is not independently giving evidence that her mother was divorced. She's just presenting uh, she's just presenting the ksuba, so we don't have a pesha hitir. It could be that we wouldn't apply a pesha asar hu a pesha hitir in this, in the context of somebody walking in off the street and trying to get married, without in a in a space where marriages are public, they have a call, and it would take us 
15 seconds to find out that the mother was previously married. The mother is known in our area to be previously married. So, obviously, obviously, you know, otherwise a woman from, I don't know if we thought we were in England, a woman from London could walk into a rabbi in Liverpool and and say this, and the rabbi would say, well, it's true that, you know, five minutes later I looked it up on the internet nowadays, right, I discovered that the mother, her mother had been previously married, but you could game the system that way, I think. Um, so we're not going to treat it that way, right? right? Saying that we know it only from her means that um, that in this place where she is, the knowledge of her mother's, of her, well, in the Gemara's case, the knowledge of her marriage comes only from her. Okay, but here we're dealing with the daughter, so that, um, so again, that complicates it. So the, and the Pesha, the, the Pesha Asar may be many things. The only thing that drives us towards permission is that the Ksuba says on it, um, Atrachta, so the Ksuba um, claims that the second marriage was uh, was valid because the mother was previously divorced. So Rav Moshe says, Pashut, it's obvious, right? Shim ha'yam asadar kedushin rav sh'yudua she'ein lismoch al sh'yudua she'ein lismoch al devarea. If the rabbi who arranged the Ketubah is a rabbi who knows enough to know that he can't marry somebody just because she claims to be divorced. Then what we, Rav says, what we can say is, So we can assume that that rabbi would not have done the marriage unless he had sufficient evidence. So the ksuba now becomes um, valid evidence of the of the marriage, and we can and we can treat it, the ksuba as if the rabbi who arranged the wedding is testifying that uh, it was a valid marriage, and therefore the daughter is also valid to marry. Um, but if the person who arranged the wedding was not a rabbi, and custom in in uh, many European places was that marriages were not performed by the rabbi, and apparently not even performed always under the authority of the rabbi. But that other synagogue functionaries would perform um, weddings. So if he was a chazan or a shamish, so he might know how to conduct a uh, conduct the wedding ritual, but he would not know um, that you can't uh, allow a marriage just on the basis of a claim of divorce in a case where there is prior independent knowledge of um, of uh, of the prior marriage. So if that's the case, so then, right, the, the ksuba just te- well, the most the ksuba testifies to is that the woman told the shamash that she was divorced, but the the mother doesn't have credibility and she's not even in front of us, so we have to go find find the get. But that is challenging. Uh, it's the daughter here, right? The mother may not be alive, or they may not be talking to each other. How are we supposed to find the rav um, who did who did the get? It's very important to keep the receipt. Um, for the get, it's very important for Batedin um, to make sure that their records of Gittin are passed on to successor Batedin to some sort of central repository. Um, I think that the Chabetin of America has such a repository. Uh, too often it's the way doctor's offices used to be, that um, that a Rav somewhere does Gittin, and he has a file cabinet, and when, after Meib Estrim, he dies, uh, his heirs simply throw out the file cabinet, and so uh, the same thing happens with, you know, a woman um, had her, had her tour, um, and then she get right, and then um, right, she loses it when when she dies. It's not no one knows where it is. Um, it really, it's really much better if we maintain a central registry uh, of Gittin, and um, certainly, but they didn't have a responsibility to ensure 
that their uh, that the records are passed on. Okay, but that didn't happen here. So Moshe says we have to try to find out who did right, who did um, who did the, who did the get, and then if it turns out the person who did the get, we can f- discover. Um, there are ways to do that if the mother is still present. Uh, we can interview her and try and get details, although often it's very fuzzy. Um, we can find out where they lived and then try and find out what uh, what Batidin uh, were active doing Gittin in those years. And I have done all these things, but sometimes you know, sometimes you're uh, not lucky, but you're the beneficiary of uh, good work. Uh, I know in Baltimore I had that where you know where one Beitin passed the records on to another, and so a current Masada in, in Baltimore happily uh, found the uh, found the records of a prior Beitin from many years ago. Um, but you don't always have that luck. But okay, that's our first job, right? You have to investigate and you have to find the Rav who did uh, who did the get. But it's only if it's not known at all that that the mother had ever been previously married. And the mother would have would have said, "Well, I was I was married, but I was niskarashit." Then we believe you. Um, if uh, because a pesha aser who a pesha hitir, and then Ramosha throws in the line that we're analyzing, im ika sibash if If there's a reason that you can't clarify it further, now that is not Medina de Gemara. Um, so one wonders where Ramosha gets this uh, idea. So the answer I think is that in the time of the Gemara, there you received the get. There wasn't a formal receipt procedure. Um, and there weren't safe deposit boxes and documents. You tried your best, but documents could get lost. And so, if you had a pesha asar who pesha hitir, there was no reyasa. There was no reason not to right to question it. The fact that the woman didn't have a get was in the absence of positive evidence, but wasn't negative evidence. Uh, whereas the motion might think that nowadays the absence of a get is the absence of a, of a not a get but of a receipt for a get. Uh, specific, particularly if you can't identify the Beitin that we did the get, that already function, makes us nervous, and so we'd rather find out uh, whether in fact uh, whether in fact there was a get. Um, although, if we can't find out, and, and there's a reason we can't find out, and much, it sounds like he's not satisfied, well, we tried to find out, and we can't find out, but that could just mean, she said I was divorced somewhere in the continental United States. Um, now here, the problem is, there, here, the, here there isn't really a reyesa, you can't say that because what should the daughter do? Um, to ask mothers to hand down their um, their, their their receipts for gittin, uh, their pturim, to their daughters reliably that seems like a, that seems like a lot. So if we had a way of saying a pesha or a pesha hitter, I think we would do it here. Um, we, um, I think that would be, it. but we don't have it because because right, the daughter's testimony isn't enough to be matir. So we have is a really terrible situation where um, where Probably the mother thought, well, I'm remarried now, so and so it was an Orthodox wedding. How could anybody possibly question the child of an Orthodox wedding? Um, but Rav Moshe is, because he says, how do I know? Right, since Orthodox weddings were not a carefully controlled um, procedure as to who could do them, the existence of a ksuba, even a very you know, perfectly valid-looking ksuba, doesn't tell me that I can trust this as evidence of divorce. Um... And so we right again. This is a theoretical question. So Rav Moshe says, if such a woman comes, you have to find the Rav who is Masada. And it may be that Rav Moshe is writing this. Again, it's a country which has lists, 
in a country where you know that there were only forty, uh, there there were only forty rabbis who did gittin, and we have all their records. Um, I don't know what Rav Moshe would do if the rabbi comes back and says, "Look, you know, the woman was a from woman. I don't think she would have gotten remarried without um, without a get." And the rabbi wrote divorcee. He wouldn't have done that if she hadn't told her that, right? So Rav Moshe could have argued um, something something like that because. Um, Although, you know, that's not true. We didn't ignore. We don't give the women name on us, so that wouldn't, you know, so that would make that would make us nervous. Uh, so we don't know really what Rav Moshe would do. Um, but he has one other line afterwards, which is really interesting. He says, and in general, can we um, permit uh, a woman to remarry? If her get was done by a rabbi whose Yerat Shemayim is not so clear. Now, this is not what was at any part of the original question. The original question was just a woman shows up and says, Mantrachta, we don't know. So Rabbi Moshe says, investigate. And again, I, I assume that he would do a lot more if the investigation came back and said, we can't find, uh, we can't find out which Rav did the get. Um, as long as right, it was plausible, as long as you still had reason to believe there was a get. If you think the entire thing was made of whole cloth, okay. But now Rav Moshe says, um, although this was not part of the original question, what happens if you find out that she did a get, but she did a get against somebody whom we don't perfectly trust halachically? Rav Moshe frames as we don't trust is you're a shemayim. Um, it doesn't say that we think the person is an ignoramus. I think it was uncommon for rabbis who really didn't know what they were doing to get involved with um, with Gittin, but we don't trust them to be so punctilious. Uh, maybe it's just a polite way of saying that they're ignoramuses, but I don't think so. So what are we supposed to do? Avalu b'shem Rav Charidi. Okay, but we know that he's a Rav Charidi, I think is roughly equivalent to what we would say, the, the rabbi who's recognized as Orthodox. So now, what are we supposed to do? Um, and Rav Moshe, you know, here the challenge is that there is, the question dealt with the daughter, and now Rav Moshe seems to be moving into the question of the mother. Right? Would we allow the mother to remarry based on such uh, based on such a get? But that's not really such a serious question because in most cases we could rewrite the get if need be. Um, so really, the question is. What happens, I think, is what happens if we investigate the daughter, and now the daughter is standing before us with a ksuba that says matrachta, and we discover that her mother was divorced in the bezin of a rabbi who doesn't have a great reputation with us. So Ramosha says really interesting things. And again, I, I focus again that he's, he's dealing with instructions to a rabbinic bureaucracy and not what to do in a specific case, because I'm sure in a specific case, Rav Moshe would have moved heaven and earth. But what he says as a policy is, Kashela again bishvilze. It's uh, it's hard to make the woman in Aguna, um, which is the case, right? But really, we're talking about you know in in our case, Mamzeres as opposed to an Aguna, although she's not a Vadai Mamzeres, uh, so we probably right, so we you know it's not clear she could marry anybody. Uh, so that maybe that's what he means by Egon, right? We're going to make this poor daughter unmarriageable at all. It would be hard to make her an Aguna because uh, because her mother, if, if I'm right, her mother had an Orthodox get from a questionable rabbi. Why? So we resort to formalism. He has the name of an Orthodox rabbi. 
and therefore we have to assume that he is kosher, and therefore we have to assume that his get is kosher. That's a step. Um, but we can say, look, if he has a cheskis kosher, so then obviously somebody with a cheskis kosher wouldn't produce a bad get. Um, every get every get coming from him also has a cheskis kosher, because if he would, in fact, knowingly produce a bad get, then he doesn't have a cheskis kosher either. Okay. And then Ramosha says something even more radical. He says, Since the books which tell you how to do Gittin have spread in the world, it's really unlikely that the get was that bad that on a biblical level it's possible. It's very likely that it doesn't satisfy all the rabbinic requirements, but a bibli- biblically possible get when you have um, a you know, paint-by-number kit as to how to do a get, um, you have pictures, you have instructions line-by-line line in the Kavanaki, um, so you would say, you know, you know that we, we can presume that if there was a get, then you can permit her to marry uh, if you have no way of clarifying the issue based on a get from a beitin you, um, you don't trust. So that's a that has radical implications on the policy level. If it turns out that retrospectively we're going to accept getting from uh, Batidin that we don't like, as with all issues, if you if people take advantage of this policy, if you know if, if Shadi Batidin set up and say, well, look, everyone's going to trust us because Moshe said so, that will create a reaction where we'll say no, right? You know, the kind of people who set up those kind of Batidin, we can't we can't presume it. We could find ways in which there might be a despite the. Um, Despite the chazaka, because they're absolum in terms of intent and issues like that, that uh, that would not be covered by the books. I, I think there are many cases like this where people try to where there's a there's a psak that works well post facto, but if it becomes the basis for future action, it's unlikely the psak would survive. Okay, um, what does it add up for us here? Um, so, in if this is really all part of the same case. So the issue is, what are we really worried about when the Ksuba says Matrachta? Um, so Ramosh initially said that the uh, that maybe the, the, the Masadir is somebody who know, right, who doesn't know that they can't believe the woman at all. Uh, which means that maybe the divorce is fictional. If the divorce is fictional, this last move of Rav Moshe doesn't help at all. Um, but I wonder if Rav Moshe didn't really mean that we could say, well, we don't know that the get happened at all, but it's much more likely that the right, that, that even a shamash or a chazan would ask for evidence of the marriage. That much they do know, uh, on the whole. But they wouldn't. They, right, they would. Ex- you know, if, if they are people who aren't experts who are doing weddings, they probably either can't um, aren't competent to know which gittin to accept or wouldn't care. So what we're really worried about here is. That the the statement Matrachta Naksuba testifies to a get, but not what kind of get. So then Moshe says, "Okay, so I'm going to assume that an Orthodox rabbi would only accept a get that was plausibly valid by Orthodox standards." And now we can say, "Well, the right." So now that now, even right, even though the Ksuba doesn't testify that there was a hundred percent kosher get. But the Ksuba can be treated to some extent as testimony that there was, a, that there at least is no Isser Dioraisa. Now we're talking about the Rabbanans, now we're talking about, a, right now the woman is a suffix to Rabbanan, now there's lots more room. So I think that what Rav Moshe, the kind of guidance Rav Moshe is giving to this bureaucracy is, look, it's ob- right, the first thing you do, right, if you don't have any evidence, 
batliksuba. So then, right then we're beyond then we're beyond standard. Right, the first thing you tell a bureaucracy is somebody comes in the ksuba says matrachta. They don't know anything about their mother's their mother's divorce. Try and find the rabbi did the get. If you can't find any trace of the get, I would think Rav is saying call me because this case is beyond what you can do. But he says what will happen. You know, probably a significant percentage of the time is you'll find out that there's a get, but it's a get from a beitin that you don't really trust so much. So again, if the woman were in front of us and she hadn't remarried someone else um, in between, so we would just write a new get. But here, but if you're dealing with the daughters of people like that, so Ravashi says in those in that case you have to try a second move, and the second move is that we are going to post facto uh, accept. Except the get, if it's plausibly, um, if it's plausibly orthodox, and I'm arguing that maybe in some cases we'll say that we'll allow just the ksuba if we couldn't find the rabbi at all. To te- right, that now we're going to say that okay, the major concern is that the ksuba doesn't testify to a get that's kosher derabanan, but at least creates um, odds of a ksuba deresa. Now, why does Rav Moshe do this? And so one way, one reason Rav Moshe sets it up this way, I think, is that is just sympathy for Agunot. We don't want Agunot. There are going to be Agunot if we... right? Because there are, unfortunately, there are women um, who get um, getting from these uh, from these questionable what they did, and we're better off not creating Agunot. It's sim- right, that's sympathy. As I point out, right, that's Apsak. I think Rav Moshe is only willing to do post facto and probably only in, um, in cases where there's an innocent... Mom, uh, moms there later, and that this is the kind of thing where it's not a good idea to call someone's bluff that they'll say uh, that if you do it too often, then they'll stop saying it. But I think there's a um, there's a deeper issue, and maybe I'm projecting to Rav Moshe, which is what kind of moral responsibility do we have, not just to Agunot, but to people who act in good faith within the boundaries of what we call our movement, our community. Uh, so I've taken the position in um, in uh, many cases, that if a woman went to a recognized Orthodox rabbi for conversion or divorce, at bef- right that at the time she went, if she had called uh, all the Orthodox, all the Orthodox rabbis in her area, they would all have said, "Yes, we agree, this person is Orthodox," um, and she does this in good faith, and th- right, there's no way she could know that this isn't going to be accepted throughout Orthodoxy because. The rabbi has an orthodox smicha and is recognized by orthodox colleagues, so that behind his back, people are saying, "Well, yeah, but we don't really trust him. He's not a great. He's not. He's not a great Yari Shemayim. There's no way for her to know that. Um, so she's acting, and there's no way for her to know that. Right? There's no system which says we only accept these rabbis, and so if you go outside these rabbis, even though they're orthodox, we're not going to accept it. That is wholly unavailable to the um, to most lay people and certainly to marginal lay people who are doing their best right um, to get to get a universally acceptable get uh, so my argument has been that we have a moral responsibility as an orthodox community to ensure that people who acted in good faith don't get hurt by the because of information they could not reasonably have been expected to know um, and therefore conversions done by rabbis even if we would not now um, we might, if someone came to us in advance, we might say, well, you know what, those are not standards that we accept. And we might say nowadays, people going there, uh, going to them, know, right, because we have a public, various public systems as to, that um, it's fairly well known that not all Orthodox conversions are accepted by all other Orthodox rabbis, for good or for ill. 
uh, right? That's a separate question whether that's right or wrong. But even um, right, even you know, only moderately connected lay people are aware that this is a uh, this is an issue. You know, that everyone when they come to a Beitin for conversion, the first question they ask is, "Will your but will your conversions be accepted by Israel?" So they know that it's not universally um, accepted. So I don't think we have the same moral responsibility anymore. But when people come to um, to Beitin saying, "My mother was converted by Orthodox Rabbi X." in 1973, and at that point, Orthodox Rabbi X was the rabbi of their community, and it was a recognized Orthodox community, all you know, all the representatives from the Yeshivot used to go raise money there, nobody suggested in their speeches to the public, please give us lots of money, but by the way, we won't accept your rabbi's conversions, right, that w- uh, right, no, one, no one would have said anything like that, so in those circumstances, in addition to the general sympathy for Agunot, I think that there is a moral responsibility to take what I call taking responsibility for the um, for, for the community that you belong to, and if you're not going to take responsibility for it, then um, right, really you shouldn't maintain the name or the claim to continuity. Uh, so it's possible that Rav Moshe is hinting at that uh, at that idea here. Uh, I certainly would like to have Rav Moshe's support for my position. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.